You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Jonathan. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. Come on. Yes, you can clap. That's a good cue. Happy Father's Day. I want to say happy Father's Day to my dad. Love you. So thankful for you. Yes, you can clap. He's not only my dad, but he's a father in this house. And I'm, I'm so grateful. I know I speak for Aaron as well. I know we're so grateful to grow up in a home where you modeled the love of the Father. You modeled what it looks like to, to love Jesus, to pursue Jesus. You modeled what it looks like to be a good dad, to spend time with your children, to put family and the Lord above dreams and career aspirations and hobbies and all those other things that you could have done with your time. So thank you. Love you. I'm going to stop before I start crying. All right. Today, it is Father's Day, and I do want to speak something along that theme and those lines of the heart of the Father is really what I really want to convey, but it is maybe in a different setting, in a different way that you might anticipate, that you might um, expect. And so I just ask that you would have an open heart to receive this word and uh, to jump in to where I believe God, what God is inviting us into. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 14. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth. And this is what he says. If you have your Bibles, catch up. If, if you, you can also follow along on the screen. I am, writing this to, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if, I, even if you had 10,000 guardians or teachers in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Say amen. Here at the Promise Church, we desire to be a church that sees lives transformed, cities saved, and nations won by being people of the presence of God. This is who we believe God has called us to be. This is what he's inviting us into. This is what he's asking of us, to be a people of his presence. And as we walk in his presence, the natural result and outcome should be lives transformed, cities saved, and nations won. And this is what we are seeing today demonstrated in baptisms, what we're seeing happening on a regular basis to the lives that are being impacted by his gospel. And I'm so thankful, I'm so honored, and I'm so glad for what God is doing here in the Promised Church. And I believe that it's just the beginning. God is wanting to increase it. He's wanting to grow it. He's inviting us into a place to go deeper with him for more of him, for him to be able to move powerfully more and more. And you might think to yourself, and as I do often, how is this going to happen? As a leader, you, you have vision. God gives you direction and vision. It gives you a big picture, and almost in the sense this end goal or this, where, where the end result would take you. And then you have to begin to think backwards how you go from the end to begin 
and how to get there from the beginning. And that, that's, if you, this is leadership principles here. I'm hoping that you haven't heard this for the first time in your life. That you, you have to often think with the end in mind and then go backwards to then to begin to build towards that. Okay? And so I think, okay, lives transformed, cities saved, nations won. How? And I, I truly believe, and we here at the Promised Church, we truly believe that we want to see a sovereign, divine, powerful move of God that sweeps through our church, that sweeps through our region, our land, and transforms this region with his presence and his gospel. We, we contend for it. We believe for it. We pray for it. We should never stop believing in a place of faith and contending for God to do something like that. We sang about it this morning, that we need a move, and we absolutely do, and we need to believe for one to happen, and God is on the move and he is moving and he wants to do great things. And at the same time, there is this divine tension of truth where God is sovereign and he can move and change things in in, in an instant, in a moment. And then he is also the God of process. And you can't ignore the process because you want something quick. You want something now. We do this all the time. If you, if you didn't, aren't aware, we contend for healing, we contend for deliverance, we contend for, for salvation and for it to happen now. And it's good and we should and we should not stop. But God is also the one who sanctifies. We are in the process of being saved. He, God is also the one that wants you to be a good steward of your life steward of your freedom so that you are on guard against things that would influence you from the world. You are on guard against things of entertainment and media. You are on guard against areas of temptation. And so that you don't lose the freedom that God paid for and has offered you and has given you. You should be wanting to be a good steward of your body and take good care of your health. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me to contend for healing for your body and you're saying, oh God, while I eat this bag of Doritos and Lord, as I enjoy these Oreos and I don't exercise, heal my body. It don't make a lot of sense to me. Some of you are offended now. You need Jesus to come and heal your soul as well as your body. I mean, the the Lord is wonderful because he makes things very clear for us. Stewardship is important. At the same time, we contend in faith for now things, for miracles, for supernatural. As a church, we should contend for revival. How many of you want revival? Come on, revival is where the hearts of people are revived and turned to the Lord. Repentance takes place. There's a move of God, a sovereign, powerful move of God that causes salvations to happen, healing to happen, deliverance to happen. And it doesn't just impact a few people. It impacts a whole region, maybe a whole nation, maybe the whole world. And I I often feel in... In churches like ours, I'm not saying just our church, but in the body of Christ at large, in in the charismatic Pentecostal circles, it can be very easy to contend for revival and believe God for a now quick move, microwave move of God without being willing to embrace a process that actually sustains revival and actually causes revival to go to the next generation. And I'm going to tell you what that is. And it's called discipleship. Discipleship. 
we will see change in cities and regions. When the people of God, the people of the church, choose to commit to at least disciple just one person. Just one person. One-on-one discipleship. Where a person is being discipled and they are discipling. Got real quiet up in here. Revival! Discipleship! Oh, shoot. Work. Sacrifice. Change. Oh. Whew. I don't know. Happy Father's Day. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came to his disciples, who he had spent three and a half years with. And he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I would say in dividing up this passage, I see it in three parts. Go make disciples, and baptize. And in the making of the disciples is the area of teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Because the the word disciple actually means learner or student, a pupil that would learn from a teacher. I would say that the church at large, okay, don't all get offended at me about the promised church, but you can apply this to this church as well. I would say at large, the church is really good at one of the three. We get really great and excited about baptisms. And I mean, I'm not, today was fantastic. I mean, this is awesome. We should celebrate. We should be excited for what God is doing in the lives of people who want to get baptized. And the church glorifies that, but doesn't really want to go preach the gospel and doesn't really want to make disciples. And notice it said, make disciples, not make followers on Instagram and Facebook. It, it didn't say to, to go and make converts. It didn't say go and make decision cards. It, it didn't say to go pass out tracts. It said to make disciples. There, in, in, in my heart, I want all of us as the body of Christ to, to be equipped and to be willing to go with the gospel, to be able to share our faith with everyone around us. That should be a huge part, and it is a huge part of our culture here, of what we want to see happen in our lives. I also know this, that as a body, as, as a church body partnering together to see the kingdom of God move in our lifetime and in our region, we have amazing ones that are more skilled and gifted in that area and will often bring people to Christ, but already have so many, so many people in their life and on their plate in the realm of discipleship, they don't have more room to disciple more people. So what they need is the whole church to jump into the area of discipleship and say, you led that person to the Lord. Can I help with discipleship? Hey, you brought that person to church and they got saved. And I know you got already three people you're trying to disciple. Hey, can I help disciple that person? That we're a church family partnering together to disciple people. We gotta be of this mindset. This is to me the heart of the Father. To to see the family of God, be a family, welcome new family members in and love them like spiritual parents 
and disciple them. This is what God is inviting us into. I'm telling you, the reason why revivals come and then they end and they have to start over again, they aren't transferred to the next generation is because there's a weakness in discipleship. Whatever God wants to do here in our church, what he wants to do in Longview, it will not be sustained for generations to come unless we embrace this value of the Father in discipleship. So you all know, the Promise Church, we don't play games. We don't play church. We don't come here to have a good service and have a good time and go home feeling good about ourselves. Now, you should come. You should be encouraged. You should be edified. You should be strengthened. You should encounter the presence of the Lord and be excited for what God is doing. But we don't just come in and check the box and do our religious duty and go home and live our lives however we want to. We're commissioned by God, by Jesus, who communicated with the heart of the Father to go and make disciples. So even if others are leading people to the Lord and you don't even know them, your heart should burn with something that says, I want to be a part. I want to jump in. I want to help. I want to disciple. Here is the heart of the Father. I want to give you three areas where I believe that represents the heart of the Father. It's not fully uh, inclusive or exclusive to all of the heart of the Father, but these three things I want to really highlight today. Number one is that he wants to bring his children into the family. The Father wants to bring his children into the family. This is modeled through Jesus in Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to, to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We do not have a harvest problem. There is not a shortage of har- harvest, according to Jesus. So the, what is the issue? What is the delay? What is the struggle? It's in finding workers, laborers that will go into the harvest field and that will help be a part of reaping the harvest. That will be willing to dig into the lives of other people and give of themselves to see other lives encounter Jesus and know how to walk with him. This is what Jesus is saying that we need to pray for. We often pray in this desire for revival. Oh, Lord, bring the lost. Oh, Lord, bring the, the, the broken. Bring the hurting. Bring all the ones, the prodigals that don't know you, which is great. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for that. But we have to be looking in the mirror at the same time and saying, God, make me a discipler. Make me a worker in the harvest field. And maybe your success rate at sharing your faith and sharing the gospel isn't as great as Scott's. It's okay. You can still invest one-on-one in a new believer in discipleship. Don't stop sharing, but don't say, well, I've tried. There's some more that you can also do. And it's going to take all of us. 
I'm telling you, if we're going to actually see what I believe God wants to do, it's going to take all of us. Not a few, all of us. Here's more about this heart of the father to bring his children into the family. Psalm 68 Verses four through six says, sing to God, sing, pray in, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. He is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. In his holy dwelling, The father is a father to the fatherless. He wants to take the lonely and place them in families. He wants to bring the lost, the lonely, the outcast, the broken, the hurting, the bound, and bring them into his family. This is his heart. God wants to end the orphan spirit. He wants to end the orphan spirit, maybe in your life, maybe because of wounds in your heart from your natural father, or maybe from wounds in your heart from even people that were in the church that tried to mentor you or help you and maybe took advantage of different things or, or hurt you in some way. You felt alone. You felt lonely. You felt fatherless. God wants to end that orphan spirit. God wants to end this. And I believe he wants to do it through discipleship. That this is how God brings a family together and allows people to experience his family. Through the, 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 the command and the following out and, and the participation in the great commission of making disciples and giving away what the Lord has given you. I hope you're just listening and receiving in this moment. Number two, how, what, what the heart of the Father is, is to conform us into the image of Christ. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are very invested, are very interested in you and I looking like Jesus. This is what they're after. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, it says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Or really according to the, the regular, the, or excuse me, the original language would be, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty or freedom. If there's not freedom, then that means he's not Lord. So you don't have a freedom problem, you have a lordship problem. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we, all of us, with unveiled face, those who know the Lord, As we behold the Lord, as we behold him as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So what God is wanting us to do as we behold him, as we turn our affection, our attention, our focus on the Lord and knowing him and pursuing him and worshiping him, we should become more like Jesus. We should become more like Jesus in our character, in purity, We should become more like Jesus in representing him to the world through the power of God, through sharing the gospel, and we should be more like Jesus with the heart to see people discipled. This is what God is wanting to do. He's wanting to make us more like the Son. In Proverbs 27, 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. God 
designs often for that conforming into the image of Christ to take place through other people in your life. Your spouse, your children, your neighbor, your coworker, the person in the row beside you in the church, the, the person you serve with on a team here in the church, they're designed often and orchestrated by God to rub you in a certain way at times to help you become more like Jesus. I don't know about you, but I get sharpened the most through my home. You all just have to have children, and you understand how it works, where God will point his finger on an area of your life as you think you're trying to address something in your children. This conforming into the image of Christ through family is very challenging. This conforming into the image of Christ through community and doing life with other people and rubbing shoulders with other people is very challenging, but it is the plan and design of God. You are not meant to live alone, you and Jesus, and do nothing with your life. Pastor Casey used this example in our staff meeting this last this last week where he said many people have been hurt by community. And maybe that's some of you. Many, many people have been hurt by community, by discipleship. You, you've tried. You've, you've put yourself out there. You've taken a risk to, to begin relationships with people, to, to walk it with life with other people. And you've been rejected. You've been hurt. Uh, people have disappointed you. And, and that, that might be the case. I would encourage you and invite you to not stop to not give up and to not quit. If you had bad food, and you'll say you even got food poisoning, you didn't stop eating, did you? We've all had bad food. We've all had good food. We know the difference between great food and bad food. And just because you had a, an experience with bad food, and even if to the point where you got sick, you didn't stop eating. So you might have had a bad experience in community. You might have had a bad experience in discipleship. Maybe even as you're one who has discipled others and they reject God, they reject you, they walk away, they don't, they don't listen to what you have to say anymore. And it's painful, it's hurt because you love them and you, you want what's best for them. Don't give up, don't stop trying. Don't let that a bad experience in the past stop you from continuing right now and in the future. The last part of the heart of the Father is leave a legacy. God is a generational God. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He wants to see a legacy passed from generation to generation. Family is his idea. Parenting is his idea. Marriage is his idea. Discipleship is his idea. Here at the Promise Church, we say this and we truly mean it. We want this to be a church built on Jesus, built by Jesus, about Jesus, and for Jesus. It's his church. And it, discipleship is his idea. He's the one who called us into it. And so we must be willing to say, yes, Lord, I want to be a part of what you're doing, be a part of what you're building. We can't just say those things and then detach ourselves from the process. And just think it's only going to be a sovereign move of God where the hand of God falls and he does it all. We can't detach ourselves from his purpose, from his plan, from his process. We must say, Lord, how do you want me to partner? How can I partner with what you're doing, with what you're building? 
God wants us to leave a legacy. I don't have time to go into some of the scriptures here, but Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8, write that down. You should go look at it. It talks about that we will not hide from the next generation. We will not hide what, the, God, what God has done, his miracles, his, his amazing deeds, but we will tell them to the next generation. We must have that same heart to want to carry to the next generation what God has done in us. In Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, it says this, After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. This is speaking of Joshua and the generation of the Israelites that came into the promised land after wandering in the desert for 40 years. This is the group of people that went into the inheritance of God and saw God move in the miraculous and taking the land. They crossed the river Jordan. They saw Jericho fall. They saw all these cities fall. They saw all these amazing miracles. The promises of God begin to be fulfilled in their lifetime. And what did they do? They died without passing the torch and leaving a legacy to the next generation. They died without having the next generation know God and know his ways and the wonders that he has done. And they fell away from God. They went and served idols. We cannot continue a cycle of start up and start over with new generations. We must pass the baton successfully. We must leave a legacy successfully to the next generation of what it looks like to know Jesus, what it looks like to follow him, what it looks like to model him and to give him away to everyone else. The next generation, they want it real. They want it authentic. They want it genuine. They aren't into games. They aren't into a show. They want people who are going to really know Jesus and really live him and really give him away. We have this amazing opportunity to partner with what God is doing. I want to leave you with just a few points here of what it takes to be someone that would disciple other people. First of all, again, I would encourage you, if you don't have someone in your life that's discipling you, that you would ask the Lord who he wants to disciple you. And I'll ask that person. Now, you all can't come to all the same people. And if you do come to some people and they say to you, I would love to disciple you, but I'm already discipling four or five people. So I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask the Lord if I should say yes, or if, I, if there's someone else that I can lead you to that will be able to take, out, take you on and disciple you. Don't get offended by that. Wouldn't it just be like the devil that you take the moment like that and you feel rejected and you feel hurt and you get offended and you don't actually enter into the invitation of discipleship because the leader was actually honest with you. And they actually told you, I'm sorry, but I really care about this and I want to be able to have someone that's going to be able to spend a lot of time with you consistently and I don't feel like I can do that right now. So instead of disappointing you later, they let you know honestly up front. So be flexible. So how, what does it take to be one that would disciple others though? Because this is what also the Lord is inviting us into. Is it that heart to say, I will take someone. I will, I will be willing to disciple someone. Number one is compassion. It's love. It's just 
having the love and heart of Jesus for people. You can't view people as projects. You can't view people as as something that you can fix. You must view people as people. You must view people as sons and daughters of God and love them with the heart of God and be willing to love them the way Jesus does. And it will be tested. But God wants us to love them the way he does. Just as Jesus was moved with compassion, we must be one that is moved with compassion for people. To be willing to be inconvenienced even because of love for people. Number two is value. You must value what God values. If this was like one of the last things that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven after his death and resurrection, one of the last things he said to his disciples is to go and make disciples. I think it's important. I think he values it maybe even above other things. And if we are honest with ourselves and we look at our calendars and we look at our schedules and we can't see room in our daily lives to invite one person into our lives to disciple, for us to disciple, then there is a problem with our values and our priorities. If we can't honestly look at our schedule and say, I'm too busy. I don't think, I, I don't think there's room for me to take someone on and, and, and love them and, and disciple them. Then there needs to be a rearranging of your schedule. There, you need to submit that to the Lord and say, what is this supposed to look like? How can I value what you value? Got real quiet again. Praise the Lord. Number three is humility. And what do I mean by humility? I mean that you're willing to open yourself up and invite people into your life. You're willing to be vulnerable. You're willing to, you're willing to sacrifice yourself. You're willing to die to self and invite people in. Inviting them into your home. Inviting them into your your family life, inviting inviting them into your schedule and and connecting with them in a coffee shop, inviting them into your life to go do things with, to go run errands with. Letting them know that you're human too, that you're not perfect, that you're in process, that you don't got it all figured out. Number four is patience. If you've ever been a part of raising a child, parenting children, patience is a must. Patience is required. They don't hand you a manual when you are given that baby in the hospital room. But if they did, it would say patience required at the top. No one realizes when that baby comes out that that you're not going to sleep for the next so many months. But you don't really even think about it that often because of the love you have for that child. Patience is required. Love is required because love is patient. Love does not seek its own. Love doesn't keep a record of wrong. So even if someone doesn't do what I've recommended and suggested for them to do, I'm not going to turn my back on them 
I'm going to extend patience. I'm going to extend mercy. I'm going to extend the heart of the Father who, if I was honest with myself, oh man, how many times could God have rejected me? And he hasn't. I would not be a good leader. I would not be a good pastor if I just tried to preach this phenomenal message about discipleship, about the heart of the Father, and not give you a practical way that you can take a step into this. We have began as a church to begin to build a discipleship team that is going to work hand-in-hand with our new believers group here in the church to disciple the ones that are already in the group and new ones that will come. And we've invited many into this group to begin to partner in one-on-one discipleship. It's huge. It's needed. It's necessary. We have over 60 people in our new believers group, which is amazing, which is awesome. And we have about... I don't know, what, eight leaders, right? Which is great. Eight to 10 leaders is awesome. But there's too many people to disciple each one properly and fully and effectively. It's too much weight and all of these amazing leaders. And now we've capped ourselves. Now now, now we can't grow beyond 60. I'm not saying that's the case. That's not factual. I'm saying this, that can happen where you cap yourself. We don't want no caps. We want God to be able to explode with new salvations, with new people coming in. We're going to Longview, folks. We need people who are willing to disciple. So if this is pulling at your heart, if this is tugging at your heartstrings and you are feeling that invitation from the Lord, I ask you that you would come and talk to Pastor Nick. You would come and talk to Jeremy Lamb, Jen O'Neill, our leaders of our New Believers group. You'd come talk to myself, talk to Jody Rosenbaum, who's going to be orchestrating a lot of the behind the scenes of this discipleship group and say, I want to disciple. I want to be a part. And we'll talk to you. We'll tell you more about that. We'll tell you what that looks like. I know with our youth leaders team, our youth ministry team, Pastors Jeffrey and Aurora, they're doing a phenomenal job right now of implementing a culture of discipleship where the youth leaders are discipling the, the students. And then the youth leaders are being discipled by other, other people in the church. So you might be asked by Pastor Jeffrey and a Pastor Aurora, Pastor Luke, Pastor Caitlin, hey, would you be willing to disciple some of our youth leaders? We must, we must respond in this way, church. Or in, in, my, in my honest opinion, we are playing games. It will take work. It will take time. It will take sacrifice. But it is worth it to see what God does in the life of a person who, who just came into the kingdom or a person who was bound in sin and and didn't know God or a person that was maybe in the church for a long time and they encounter the presence of God and they they, they all of a sudden want to be set free and they've been set free and they want to begin to live life new in Jesus. Maybe you're here in this room and you got problems and you got things going on in your life. Welcome to the club, first of all. And then you might realize, I need to be discipled. Don't be afraid to come and speak to one of us and ask. Will you all stand with me?
want to do two things before we go into a moment of worship. If there's anybody here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't know him, he's not your Lord and Savior. You've maybe been in church a long time, but you don't have a deep personal relationship with God where you really know him personally and you want to give your life to Jesus. I want to just give an opportunity for you to respond today. You saw firsthand with your own eyes, heard with your own ears, the testimony of several here today that have encountered the real Jesus, who's alive, who's a person, who loves you, who died on the cross for your sins, who's alive today, and he wants to invite you to know him. So if you're here today and you don't know him, please raise your hand. We would love just to pray with you. Anybody here, you don't know Jesus, and you want to begin a relationship with him? Anybody at all? I want to do this. I'd love to have Scott. Scott, could you come up here? I, I honor this man and his family. He's an incredible man. And today is his family's last Sunday, so make sure you get your hugs in. And I, I, I'm honored to have known this, this man and this family. And I'm going to try not to cry here right now. But I want him to pray for our church to impart a heart of discipleship. This man knows, him and his wife know what it looks like to disciple, to disciple people and to do it really well. And I want God to impart his heart as a father into us. This call to discipleship is from the heart of the father for his kids. It's not man-made. It's not my idea. It's not a system. It's not a process. It's not a program. It's the heart of Jesus. It's the heart of the father. And so I just ask, I'm just wanting to ask him to pray over us, to receive this impartation and to be able to act on it and to be able to see hundreds of people discipled effectively in this, in this church, in this family, and their lives to be forever changed. That cities can be saved because we're willing to disciple one person. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Do you know, sometimes we can overthink discipleship and what it is and what it means you know I describe it to people like the first day when we go to school for some of us it's a long time it was a long time ago it's hard to think back that far but when you first went to school you walk through the school gates and you see all the kids and you don't know any of them often and you think I've got a choice I either go out of my comfort zone to push myself force myself to make a friend or I stay behind and we all push ourselves to do it but within like two days we're with these kids and we're like, I feel like I've known them all my life making disciples is making friends but it's going to cost you but we can't be selfish the reason you do it at school is because you care about yourself will you be willing to care about somebody else? And I'm going to pray. I just want to share this real quick. Just I thought the Lord bring this to my mind. Just like what Jonathan said, you know, making disciples, this desire is definitely something that the Lord puts in us, for sure. But He'll put it in you if you open yourself up to receive it. When people, when we opened our home in Ireland, when this first began, we, had, we started with three people in our home. And I remember feeling like I was uh, like the, the luckiest man alive to have these three people in my living room that God would entrust me with these three uh, new believers that I had the opportunity to love them. Now, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to, how to do it. But all I knew is that I had a chance to love them. And that is really all that we have to do. And they would come into our home and, and many people came over a three-year period and they would come in my home and I would tell them this. When they the first time people would come and I'd look them in the eye and I'd hold them and I'd say, I could have been offered a Ferrari or to have you here today and I would choose you. And it might sound like uh, corny or whatever, but it, was, but it was real and they knew it as they looked in my eyes, they knew it was true. 
You see, what I was trying to say is you could have given me a million dollars. You could have given me the best of the worldly uh, things that are there. But for me, having you here means more. And I wasn't faking it. All I was doing was sharing what, what I was feeling. You see, I could feel his, his joy for these people. So if you will, you don't have to fake it till you make it. You don't have to try and pretend or, or, or whatever. Just let Jesus do it right now. Just say, God, look, I don't really feel, I'm not really that bothered about opening my home or, or going out of my way, but I know you want it, so would you do it in me? That's all we have to do. Open ourselves up and say, will you do it in me? Will you give me this compassion and this love? So why don't we all do that? So Holy Spirit, I ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I ask you in this moment, Lord, that you would awaken every single heart. Lord, that you would awaken a compassion, awaken a love inside of people. Lord, that this morning they will begin, even now, they will begin to feel something stirring inside of them, something bubbling up, even for those who are watching at home, that you begin to feel a shift take place. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would shift something in the hearts of the men and women in this room. As the Apostle Paul said, I long to impart some spiritual gifts. So whatever that I am able to impart, that what you have put in my heart, then I do it right now in the name of Jesus. I impart the spiritual gift, whatever you have uh, done in my my life, Lord, I release it upon this body, upon this house right now in this moment and into every heart. I just speak the love of Christ. Let it dwell inside of you. Let it bubble up inside of you like never before. Holy Spirit, I ask you that you'd rest like tongues of fire upon every individual in this room and they will begin to feel a shifting take place. They begin to feel the bubbling of love but bubble up inside of them the love of the Holy Spirit the love of a father a father that says I can't bear to be apart from my kids but I also can't bear for them to, to not know what it feels like to be loved a new commandment I give you love one another the way that I have loved you will you love the way that he is loved will you be a conduit for his Holy Spirit to love through you Will you be the hands and feet of Jesus? You don't have to have it all figured out. All you have to do is be willing to surrender and say, God, flow through me like water through a hose. Will you unkink yourself and open that hose up so that the water can flow? So I just pray right now and I ask you guys right now in this moment, as the Holy Spirit begins to touch you, that you respond. Whether you've got to come kneel, whether you've got to kneel it where you are, whether you've got to come stand, whatever you've got to do. Sometimes it looks like something to respond. So I encourage you, don't waste this moment. Respond, whatever it looks like for you. Whatever the Lord is nudging you to do in this moment. You've got to repent, you repent. You've got to cry, you cry. Whatever you've got to do, do it. Holy Spirit, we ask you for forgiveness forgiveness Lord for not loving people the way that you have loved us we repent we say sorry for making it all about us we're sorry for being selfish and being more concerned with our own needs and our own desires and wants but Lord I ask you that you would cleanse us from this selfishness and in this moment Lord I pray a breaking of any condemnation and any fear in the name of Jesus, that stronghold of fear over people's lives that has robbed them because the things, that, the, the thoughts that have said, what will happen if I do this and what will they do? We just smash all those lies right now in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, I ask you for a blanket of your love, grace and compassion to flood this place. So begin to receive and begin to respond in this moment now. However you see fit, respond in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come on, church, we're going to worship.
If you want to respond, come up to the front. You can step into the aisle. Whatever you feel like God's asking you to do, I invite you to do it. Let's just give our attention to the Lord, worship Him, and respond in that place of surrender and say, yes, Lord, I'm yours. everything you have and I'll give you all 